Hello and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. Today, we're in conversation with Frank Spotelari. Frank is the CEO of UPS Germany and has spent the last 34 years building a career at UPS Europe. Frank's originally from Chicago, moved to Germany a number of years ago and hasn't lived back. Why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, Frank? And yes. Sure, I'd be glad to pray. I'm a Native American, as you can probably hear. I was born and raised in Chicago, studied economics, I came to Europe many years ago, 1980, thinking it would be the kind of traditional break year after college, and that's now 40 years ago. I ended up staying in Germany and uh, have spent most of the past 40 years working in Germany, but also elsewhere in Europe, in particular Italy for a good period of time, Spain uh, and Brussels in our European headquarters. I joined UPS in 1986 as a German employee. I'm not an expat. Um, at a time when UPS was expanding greatly, those were the years where we really started setting up and scaling our global model. And that was based on the success UPS had had in Germany, which was the first international market for, for UPS outside North America. And that success here encouraged us to expand globally and really made us the global player we are today. And I got to be part of that now for almost 35 years. And it's been a very exciting ride seeing everything that's happened, uh, both in the geographical expansion, but also in the expansion of capabilities and technology and uh, just seeing how the world has developed. In a large part, I always say thanks to people working in the logistics industry. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, that is quite incredible. Um, uh, let, let's jump straight in. Um, you know, obviously, all of 2020, all anyone ever spoke about was the pandemic, COVID. Uh, and then, of course, in 2021, it's all about the vaccinations. Um, now, the vaccines are out. That's obviously fantastic. But there's different pharma companies that have come out with different vaccines. Um, and from a distribution perspective, um, it's all kinds of mixed up, right? Mostly because of temperature requirements or shelf life and things like that. Can you kind of kind of give us a lay of the land a little bit in a supply chain context? What is going on in the world with COVID vaccinations? Certainly. Well, I mean, obviously, um, you know, it's a uh, it's a crucial issue. It's top of mind. It's something that has to be done and done correctly and done. Uh, with the necessary diligence. But having said that, that's something we do every day of the week anyhow for 30 million shipments a day. So it's uh, in itself not a new concept. And I can also say that UPS, as many of the global uh, competitors or even regional competitors uh, have been doing for the past several years, had identified sometime back healthcare as one of the key segments we want to be active in. I think everyone's realized, uh, and believe me, I can confirm it, no one's getting any younger. 
And uh, there's going to be a need for healthcare. There's going to be a need for the new products and services that are coming out, customized medications. I mean, there's an enormous amount of stuff going on in the healthcare industry. And obviously, the logistical piece of it, as logistics is part of everything, is crucial. So uh, when you hear the stories about minus 70 degrees and this and that, those are not new challenges for the industry, right? And uh I think uh, the, the industry has risen to the challenge. And I think when you look at what people call the logistics of the thing, the issues seem to be more focused on producing adequate amounts of the vaccines. And then post last mile, I mean, the stuff is getting to where it needs to go. It appears to be a little bit more difficult to get the arms there with the sleeves rolled up, right? So I... I uh, I think the logistics industry can be very proud of what it's doing. There's been a lot of cooperation and coordination, you know, throughout various modal uh, means of transport across different companies and geographies. And I think it's really a moment where we're standing tall as an industry and showing that we're an essential part of the global economy. That's wonderful. So you so you don't actually think that the bottleneck is with logistics. It's 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 pre and post once it's actually where it needs to be. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends how broadly do you find logistics, right? I mean, if, uh, but the piece of moving it from production site and wherever to distributor in a local country, that's not what really appears to be the problem now. And I, I think a lot of focus is always put on that. And it is exciting to see aircraft taking off, loaded with boxes labeled COVID-19 vaccine, you know, here it comes, this is essential. That piece is working. I don't see, uh, you know, capacity issues. I don't see issues in transporting at the correct temperatures. Not not in the you know the true logistics end to end piece of it. Gotcha. Okay, so let's make this a little bit tangible then. Um, talk to me a little bit about like specifically what it is that UPS is doing. Um, you know, yeah, right from where it picks up, but you know, what is the journey? Where it drops off? What regions? What's the focus? Which kind of vaccine is the focus if you can talk a little bit about that because you know different vaccines have different temperature requirements things like that so you know wh what is uh perhaps ups's area of expertise and uh what is going on well let me let me back up back into that kind of by talking about a few of the things we've done in the healthcare uh sector that uh, prepared us for this without even know we were preparing ourselves specifically for this right Roughly 20 years ago, we made our first major acquisition in the healthcare industry. That was a company in Canada called Livingston. And uh, that became kind of the basis for our healthcare strategy because we also acquired a bunch of extremely competent healthcare logistics specialists. And uh, then we started making healthcare acquisitions elsewhere. There's been a series of them made in uh, Europe. Uh, PF was one of the first ones in, in Rome, in Italy. Uh, we've also made acquisitions in the UK, uh, in Hungary, in other markets, and have put together a very robust network, which includes everything you need you know, for things like this, uh, storage capabilities at ultra low temperatures, uh, you know, everything you need to 
to handle anything the healthcare industry throws at you. We've, uh, you might have seen this recently, we've invested in a lot of capabilities in producing dry ice. Dry ice is one of the key components then of maintaining the minus 70 degree uh, special cooled boxes that go out with some of the, the things in it. And for Europe, for example, we've made major investments in Vermont, which is a, a little uh, city in the Netherlands, right on the German border, which is about a one hour drive from our European air hub in Cologne. So basically we get stuff out of that building onto an aircraft in the space of several hours and it can be anywhere in the world in a relatively uh, you know, reasonable framework of time. And uh, so, and you know, from there then there's the assets in place on each of the continents to continue distributing more capillary. Uh, so for that reason, we have really the essential requirements. We had them already in place. Obviously, you know, there's a need. This is a, a very uh, extremely important initiative, high visibility, and there's obviously a real need to make sure everything runs perfectly. As I said, that's what we do for a living, but still, uh, you know, there's a even more focus now on making sure everything is absolutely seamless. Uh, if you look at some of the vaccines, for example, one of the third, first things we did was pick up vaccine that was produced at a site in Belgium and uh, truck it to Cologne and fly it to Canada, which is kind of symbolic considering that's where we made our first big acquisition. That was one of the first things we did with uh, vaccines. Now, the vaccine manufacturers have sites, of course, in multiple geographies and they're shipping from those places to, uh, you know, whatever is most convenient them for, for them as a, as a supplier. So you have to have the flexibility and the global reach to be able to do that. And uh, then every country, on top of all of the above, a lot of the countries have said, here's how we're going to do it for our countries. Some countries are using the military to ensure that the supply is done. Other countries are just saying, okay, ship it to this one supplier within the country, whereas other countries even say ship it directly to these hospitals or other facilities. So you really have to have the reach to be able to do that seamlessly with transparency and with the ability to report back to your customer at any given time where the product is and what condition it's in to ensure that it is at the right temperature and moving to the right place at the right time. Sounds pretty easy to describe, but in reality, it takes a global network of our, in our case of 500,000 people in our own airline to really make this happen on a global basis. Wow. That's just incredible. It you know it obviously sounds to me like there's like a lot of the groundwork or a lot of the a lot of the network itself was already in place. Um, has there been any new development or anything that's had to happen in order to make this work, or is it using the existing infrastructure uh, pretty much a hundred percent? Well, for the most part, it was the existing infrastructure. Like I said, we invested in uh, capabilities to produce. X number of tons of dry ice per day or per week, whatever it is. I don't really understand all the math of that. Uh, we've developed special packaging. But uh, as far as the physical structure goes, we feel that we were pretty well equipped to do this because, like I say, it isn't the first time we've delivered vaccines. I mean, vaccines for numerous diseases have been distributed for years and years. So this is more a question of scale, timing, reach, and you know the visibility associated with uh, everything that's going on. 
And quite frankly, uh, in a positive note, I would say most governments and health authorities have been extremely cooperative and, you know, granted, you know, additional rights to land or do certain things to help make the thing run more smoothly. And that, I think, is, is a good recognition of the importance, obviously, that's attached to all of this. That's awesome. Well, talk to me then a little bit about like what other commodities or industries are potentially being impacted by this. I mean, what I mean by that is if you're using your existing network, the, my assumption would be that you were perhaps using that to move something else before you had to move the vaccines, right? Is vaccine, are the vaccines kind of taking up the capacity where something else would have had if it wasn't for this? Well, uh, currently, uh, you know, as you know, being in the industry, the global transportation industry is under uh, enormous pressure to move more than ever before. Um, you know, even before the vaccine started rolling out in the Christmas period, there was an absolute global, uh, you know, crush people shipping stuff from manufacturers in Asia. It was becoming almost impossible to even ship stuff from China or elsewhere in Asia to the markets in Western Europe and the US. Uh, even still, there's a, a very tight air freight, very tight containerized sea freight even. And uh, that certainly has been something that's characterized the last year. Uh, we've seen an absolute boom in the number of shipments um, uh, and uh, a trend that had already been going on, which is B2B, at best stagnating and B2C growing very rapidly. That went into overdrive, right? And uh, there's a lot of interesting statistics uh, that show, for example, that many people, you know, that didn't customarily order online more than maybe books or a few standard kind of things are now using completely different categories. I know that from talking to my sisters in the U.S. who are a bit older than me even, and very concerned. They have their groceries delivered. They never would have thought of that in the past. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, how, how has behavior changed for now in the future? Uh, the industry certainly is capable of investing and scaling up. But uh, at the other hand, you don't want to invest and scale up. And three months from now, there's no need for it because we've all gotten our jab and our out running around again without masks and doing whatever we want. So to your point, uh, certainly at any given time, you have to have a good relationship with your shipper. It's important to establish strong customer relationships. That's always something that UPS tries for, uh, to forecast how your business is going to go, what volumes you're going to have, what peaks you're going to have, and to try and be flexible because uh, uh, I like to say that our industry is kind of like the hotel industry. When there's a big event in town, if you're too late, you're not going to get a room, right? And uh, we're no different. Having said that, I, I wouldn't want to characterize it as saying we're at a point where uh, the COVID vaccines are forcing out other shipments from being transported in spite of everything. And that particularly in the way they're somewhat slowly ramping up, it's not at a point where, you know, you have to leave stuff back on the runway because COVID is shipping, right? And uh, I hope it stays that way. And everyone is, you know, if you follow it in the press, people are adding additional assets. Um, we are at a time, by the way, that uh, 
you have the double-edged sword of the passenger flights being wiped out, and um, many people aren't aware that that was a big source of cargo space in the belly, right? But at the same time, there are a lot of aircraft available, many of which are being converted to carry cargo now. So I don't think I don't think we're going to get at a point where you can't get your jab because you know the the logistics industry couldn't move it from A to to B. That's very interesting. Um, I have a question which might be which might be a little bit of a stupid question, but my understanding was that I mean you know there's obviously a special cold chain network that's required vaccines, right? Uh, but when now that it's like, or when it's packed with the dry ice, does that mean that it doesn't necessarily um, require the cold chain or refrigerated trucks or what have you? Can it move um, in in like the same space as you would move something that does not require the cold chain? Yes, the the, the packaging with the dry ice is amazingly effective, and uh, you have to remember we're not talking about you know three weeks on a boat. We're talking about picked up you know, at a production site, driven directly to the airport. A couple hours later, it's on a flight. Nine hours later, it's unloaded in Louisville or New York. And, you know, within 18 hours, it's going to be in someone's hands who presumably has the requisite freezer to, to you know, store it in. But the, those boxes can go far longer than that. And they're monitored so you know if something did breach the temperature control, it can be safely destroyed uh, if that's required. I personally, I mean, uh, certainly it would be nothing that would anyone would talk about, but I've not heard of any instance. I know at us it hasn't happened. I don't hear anything from any competitor that uh, cold chain was broken and something had to be destroyed or not during that piece of the transportation. So that's a little less dramatic than what it sounds like. Obviously, the, the boxes are, you know, uh, a bit of an additional uh, factor in the supply chain and packing the dries, et cetera. It's an additional step. And there are some people that'll choose to say, okay, uh, if I'm going from Belgium to the Netherlands, I'll just send a refrigerated truck and pack the stuff without any of the, those boxes. And that would make perfect sense. So it's all going to kind of depend on your scenario. Gotcha. So, okay, that's very interesting. So if it's packaged with the dry ice, then it can move on dry vans and it doesn't necessarily need refrigerated trucks. Yes. Okay, that's 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 cool. That's very interesting. Okay, well, I mean, this is all the good stuff. Talk to me about what are maybe the top three challenges um, with this. You know, what is keeping you up at night? You know, what are probably three or bottlenecks within, uh, within the logistics operations itself? Well, uh, pre, you know, I've been doing this for going on 35 years now this year. And I would say this, I mean, I consider myself very fortunate to have come to UPS when I started at UPS as a much younger man. Uh, I had no idea I'd do 35 years. And when you're young, you never think 35 years out. At least I never did. And I never envisioned doing anything for 35 years. And one of the things that I've particularly loved about working at UPS is that it's a company of people. There's 500,000 of us. And uh, in my position now, you know, is responsible for Germany, Austria, Switzerland. There's over 20,000 employees under normal circumstances. When I can be out and about, I visit centers continually, get to talk to people. Uh, we promote from within. So I started at a 
entry level position doing a job that you know I go out and see people now and I can tell them quite honestly maybe someday you'll be in my office if you do your job right and it's uh, something that happens at UPS and uh, that's something that really is you know keeps us all grounded keeps us aware of what really counts in business and also in life and that's the people and right now my you know my big concern is keeping our workforce safe obviously we have a lot of people that are essential workers they're doing something which uh, is not always i think fully appreciated right they're out there you know moving packages day and night around the world and one of our big concerns and it's something we take very very seriously is the safety of our workforce so we've certainly invested a lot of money in training and providing the adequate protective equipment and restructuring physical properties, buildings, so that people come in less contact with each other. We monitor very carefully everything going on. And that has got to be, I think, for anyone in business right now, the number one priority, because you certainly you know, want your workforce to be safe. Secondly, I would say uh, one thing that concerns everyone, I think, right now in Europe is Brexit. There's uh, a lot of, you know, I won't say unanticipated, but certainly unwanted and uh, I guess not unexpected uh, bottlenecks at the border. And certainly if you're talking about shipping vaccines, that's not something that uh, you want to have going on. That is certainly something that is a high concern right now. And I hope that uh, the industry working together with the UK and the European regulators can very quickly find a way to get things moving as smoothly as they used to in the past. It certainly illustrates, uh, I hope to a lot of people who hadn't really thought about it and take for granted the free movement of people and goods that we've enjoyed for so many years and enjoy in so many areas around the world, how uh, different things are when you don't have that, right? So that is also something that we'd certainly like to see uh, done. And the third thing, uh, I mean, our third thing is something, and I won't say it keeps me up awake at night or I'd be an absolute nervous wreck. And that is just making sure we come in every day and deliver the quality our people and our customers expect from us. Obviously, you know, when you have 30 million shipments a day in your system, you're not going to be perfect. No one can expect that. There's bad weather. There's you know, traffic jams, there's breakdowns, and quite frankly, there's also human errors. Uh, but it's really every day we come in wanting to be as close to perfect as we can be. And for anything that goes wrong, we need to recover as quickly as we can. And that I think is uh, one of the other characteristics of the logistics industry. And if you can be the one that's seen as being best at that, you certainly have a leg up when it comes to gaining market share. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes that makes a whole bunch of sense. Uh, and you know, I guess even to your point about um, you know keeping the workforce safe, it's um, it's. I mean, on on a normal day, on a non-pandemic day, that would be a big concern in and of itself. But now, yeah. you know, for um, for all of these wonderful people making deliveries um, of of something that's so high value and so high worth. 
um, it's yeah, I, I can see how that would be top. And then with the news train in Britain, uh, the Brexit anyway doesn't help. But with the news train of the COVID, um, uh, of COVID, you know, and what that means is 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 just like an added level of challenge. Um, I can imagine. Um, let's talk about any interesting partnerships that you guys might have forged. Is this something that you're able to do in isolation, uh, uh, or has there been, you know, birth of any new interesting partnerships uh, in order to move eastward? Well, I wouldn't. I don't think there's anything I can point out specifically and say, okay, we partnered with company X to offer this. But uh, you know, in the world of logistics. When you're an integrator like UPS, your goal is, of course, to really keep everything uh, very tightly under your control. That's what people are paying for, to know that it's there's one set of hands out there that's watching over everything. There's one, you know, one person you're going to go to if you have any kind of trouble. Obviously, everyone partners with people in different scenarios and areas. We have countries where we have service partners that work for us uh, and represent the brand uh, in most parts of the world we're you know set up ourselves and uh, have our own assets but we do rely on you know partners to provide airlift for us and uh, also partners to provide other services but for the most part those are long-standing agreements that we've used whenever necessary to achieve certain things i will say um you know, due to the incredible importance of, of this rollout, there's been a, a, a lot more coordination on the national regulatory areas. And I think uh, that piece has helped uh, also the, the companies that produce this stuff decide how they're going to do the rollout. Uh, you know, very few of them just say we're giving everyone to this company. Uh, usually they award different lanes, different geographical areas based on their feelings is, you know, who's going to provide the best service there. Certainly, we'd like to get everything from everyone. But uh, I do think within our industry, there's a feeling of solidarity around this because we realize it's bigger, you know, than any profit motive, bigger than anything else anyone's doing. And it's an absolutely essential service that we're providing. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Can you move? everything for everyone hypothetically even if that were you know if 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 that would happen does any one company have that kind of capacity we'd need a couple hours advance notice but sure, okay, we did that. <laughs> all right awesome well i'll put in a word <laughs> yes please that's awesome okay well talk to me uh about i mean let's let's zoom out a little bit from you know 2020 21 and vaccine logistics right do you think that as a result of this pandemic there's going to be something in the world of supply chain that's going to change permanently well i certainly uh as i you know somewhat spoke to earlier i do think it's been an accelerator for existing trends and that is the shift from b to b to b to c or you know, multi-channel hybrid business models, et cetera. I think that is, uh, you know, I don't think it'll stay at the same level it is now. Uh, if I just look at my own family with four kids at home, there's rarely a day that goes by that you know five different people don't ring our doorbell and give us packages. Um, a lot of it would be stuff that probably my wife would have you know, enjoyed, quite frankly, going into town and buying herself and getting a look at and 
so I think, you know, a sample of one household isn't valid, but I do think, you know, if you look at it that way, I think some stuff that people are ordering online will probably revert back to, uh, you know, retail, high street retail. Uh, but I do think a lot of things that people just weren't used to ordering in the past and realize the convenience of ordering now will continue to be ordered. So that will give the B to C curve, which has been upwards, you know, a step bump, and it's going to continue its upward trend. That obviously has big implications for our industry, right? And, uh, you know, everyone's aware of all the things that are going on with the city logistics, the use of alternative delivery methods, be it bicycles, uh, you know, uh, lockers, all the things that are out there that's certainly going to take on a lot of importance. Uh, having said all of that, I think, I guess the really big question will be, what happens to global supply chains? There's a lot of talk about, oh, we need to nearshore, we need to do this, we need to do that. Certainly the pandemic showed how globalized the world is. And if you think back, I remember when this first came up as an issue in China and we were thinking, wow, our poor colleagues in China, that's really bad. And, you know, certainly it's too bad and it'll be a problem. And then, you know, you see it rolling all over the world and uh, uh, you realize the world has changed. I think it's going to be a lot easier said than done to reorganize global supply chains that have been built up over years. A lot of people don't realize how intricate they are and how much work goes into finding the right suppliers, certifying them to make your product, uh, establishing you know, systems, methodologies, et cetera, standards. Um, if there is a concentrated effort to nearshore stuff or to find multiple suppliers, that would certainly have a major impact on how supply chains work. And uh, we would you know, be able to adjust accordingly. And that is a big question that I don't think is yet resolved. And I think we'll see it once uh, everyone's got their jab and hopefully the world somewhat returns to normal. Right. And if you had to kind of decide, do you think that it's likely that manufacturing is going to be near short or would you you put your money on, you know what, it's going to go back to how it was uh, pre-pandemic? Personally, I think... Um, I don't think there's going to be that many changes, quite frankly. It's all such an entrenched system that's been built up over so many years. I don't think there's going to be a rush to move pieces of production elsewhere. It's just not that easy. And uh, I think human nature is to say, okay, that happened. It's not going to happen again. I mean, face it, last time it happened was 100 years ago, right? And 100 years from now, who knows what supply chains will look like. Probably everything will just be printed at home on your little 3D printer, right? I won't be around to see that, but uh, I don't know. I don't uh, I don't think there's going to be a wholesale change to the way things happen. Having said that, I do think there are other trends that have also been on their own the entire time. I think if you look at, uh, say, uh, automotive manufacturing, which is obviously one of the biggest industrial sectors in the world, one of the biggest employers, they're going through a massive change with the shift from... Um, traditional fossil fuel fired vehicles to electric vehicles. And I think that actually could be a trend that has more of an impact on how supply chains work than many other things, because an electronic car, you know, those platforms use a lot less parts, a lot less suppliers, uh, a lot less intricacy in the supply chain. 
it'll be very, very interesting to see over the next 10 to 20 years what effects, what impacts that has on how supply chains are set up. Yeah, how interesting. Only time will tell, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think you have a crystal ball. So I'm going to ask you, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, um, by when do you think things are going to start looking a little bit normal? By when do you think the world is going to get vaccinated and we can kind of forget all of this and kind of move on and wake up from this nightmare? Well, I don't have the crystal ball, but I will say, I guess I'm naively optimistic. I would hope, in spite of the fact that it looks like we're off to a slow start in many places, uh, I would hope that by, at the latest, late summer, you know, a lot of things that we can't even think about today are possible again. I mean, we're in lockdowns right now. Certainly, we don't want those to go on that long. But I hope, uh, you know, if the rollout is done right, and I just saw a very interesting statistic yesterday about the percent of people that live in, uh, you know, care homes as in, in the area in Germany, which it referred to, 1% of the population lived in, in, you know, the facilities. I think it was 25% of COVID cases were among those people and 40% of the deaths. So that illustrates, you know, if we play our cards right and we're smart about getting the people vaccinated that need it most, you know, I would hope that that's a way forward that will uh, certainly take a lot of the strain off the healthcare system. And uh, I don't want to downplay anyone getting this horrible disease because you certainly, you know, it's to be avoided at all costs. But uh, uh, certainly if we can protect the most fragile segments of our population, I think it would be an incredible uh, disgrace if we can't have that done in the next, you know, months then I would hope that we really see light at the end of the tunnel and maybe people will understand, yes, this works, let's line up, let's get our shots and let's get this over with because it's been a year now and it's getting kind of old, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely and kind of old. And I think I think you you make such a such an interesting point, right? Like obviously, um, you know, logistics tree itself has to play its part and sure that it gets to where it to get to but also at the same time if you you know if governments don't really prioritize the right groups that should be getting it um you know which can which can make a much more significant impact in how we curb um the disease it's a little bit like all for naught right and then also um even if you do identify the right groups and the right prioritization of who should get it the fact that that should happen the fact that people for instance like kind of come back for the second jab and you know and then there's uh that you're able to monitor that all of that stuff actually happens um is going to be a lot more important uh if not just as much so yeah it's it's gonna be interesting to see what happens but i think i'm definitely cautiously optimistic much like yourself and uh hopefully by the summer there's some semblance of normalcy well, i hope so I need Wonderful. to get on the beach for a couple of weeks, I'll tell you, pray. <laughs> Fun and uh, relaxation, I need that. Yeah, that's right. And for what it's worth, it's really cold now, so you can't get to the beach. So maybe we should give it till the summer, and then I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I'll be okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking out the time to do this, Frank. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I look forward, hopefully, we get to see each other in person again someday soon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. That is it for today from us at the Vaccine Challenge. 
We continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who you should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contact us at thevaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe, stay responsible. This is us signing off from The Vaccine Challenge.